if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thank you so much for being with us as we get started at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Tuesday, the seventh morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord 2020. Coming up on the program in about a half an hour, we're going to talk with uh, Steve Loomis. He is a Cleveland police detective. He is the former president twice of the Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association. He's got some thoughts on the extraordinary wave of violent crime sweeping across not just New York City, not just Atlanta, where they have declared a state of emergency, not just Minneapolis, where the George Floyd situation played out, and not just in Chicago, where it's a shooting gallery every single weekend, but right here in Northeast Ohio. America's ninth most violent city is getting more violent as police resources are cut and police orders are to pull back and not be proactive in trying to prevent violent crime. And Steve Loomis has got some numbers that may shock you. And uh, we're going to talk about what uh, what this means going forward on how to protect people in the city of Cleveland. And by the way, because the story of the year thus far is Black Lives Matter, we are going to talk about the disproportionate impact on black lives that uh, restrained policing has. That's right. When police are told to pull back or are not allowed to uh, proactively police in high crime areas, those are oftentimes high minority areas, and they don't want to be accused of racial profiling, it is minorities that suffer the consequences. They become the victims of violent crimes at a very, very disproportionate rate. Um, and that's just the reality of the matter. So we'll talk to Steve at 9.35. Then at 10.35, we're going to talk to our good friend Kurt Schlichter. Kurt Schlichter, of course, is a senior columnist at townhall.com. He is also uh, a... Um, he is also a Los Angeles-based trial attorney and a retired uh, lieutenant colonel in the United States Army, and he's got a new book out, and it's one that we are definitely going to want to talk about uh, with Kurt Schlichter coming up at 1035. He's really one of the most, uh, I think the best way to describe Kurt is one of the most unrestrained voices, I think, working as a commentator, pundit, or in media today. He is one of the most unrestrained. He doesn't care what you think. He he doesn't care if you don't like him. He's he's self-employed. He can't be canceled because he's a great attorney, and people are going to keep coming to him uh, to um, 
uh, to uh, avail themselves of his services. So he just doesn't care. He's unrestrained. And I guess what? I'm a pretty good judge of character as far as that goes because that is pretty much what I consider myself to be most of the time, unrestrained. Uh, so Kurt Schlichter at 1035 and Steve Loomis, who was also pretty unrestrained himself, uh, at 935 today. Very much looking forward to both of those conversations. So speaking of this, the crime wave in, wave in Cleveland, uh, I want to start with this story that has to do with crime, but it doesn't have to do with crime. What am I talking about? Well, let me explain. And thanks to Fox 8 and the uh, Fox 8 I-Team for this story that I did not realize was a, was a story. You know how the mayor of the city of Cleveland, the bumbling buffoon that is Frank Jackson, uh, the same Frank Jackson who diverts police resources, the same Frank Jackson who, by the way, deflects police resources from investigating his grandson's and a myriad of crimes, or at least allegations of crimes, uh, into his own family, uh, who has intervened on his grandson's behalf using his power as the mayor to tell police when and where they can question his family members. Frank, Frank Jackson is a national embarrassment on our local level. He is an absolute embarrassment, and you, as a Cleveland resident who keep voting for him, should be just as embarrassed. Honestly and truly, I don't know that I have ever seen anything quite like Frank Jackson. And I have watched Bill de Blasio from afar in New York. And I have watching Lori Lightfoot from afar in Chicago. And I'm watching uh, uh, Bottoms in uh, Atlanta from afar. And I'm watching Eric Garcetti in Los Angeles from afar. And these are some of the worst. I'm watching the mayor, J- Mayor Jenny, Jenna uh, Durkin up in Seattle, allowing the chop zone to happen and calling it the summer of love. And I still don't know if I've ever seen seen anything quite as incompetent as four terms of Frank G. Jackson. So, as you know, over the weekend, Mayor Frank G. Jackson, um, i got to think of what the G stands for, because I just went to Fred G. Sanford in my head, and G always stood for, stood for something great. Uh, Mayor Frank G. Jackson signed an order requiring face masks to be worn in all public places in the city of Cleveland. He made it very specific as to what will happen if you do not. Each employee failing to wear a mask in a Cleveland business will be issued a $50 citation for not wearing a mask. A patron not wearing a mask will get a $25 citation for failing to wear that mask in a business or in public areas. Venues that fail to facilitate social distancing to the mayor's liking will get a $3,000 fine and a $5,000 fine for each subsequent violation. And then D, businesses failing to follow the occupancy limitations will also get a $3,000 fine and a $5,000 fine for each subsequent violation. Now, what does this have to do with crime fighting? It should have nothing to do uh, with crime fighting because this, these are not crimes, not wearing a mask. But it is an order, an executive order, by the chief executive, Frank G. Jackson, of um, the city of Cleveland. In addition to the public venues and you know stores and places where where um, consumers interact with with retailers there's also just public existence in your own car let me say that again in your own car masks will be treated like seat belts and if you don't have one on while you're in your car and another person is in the car with you even if it's your spouse 
or your child or somebody else you live with, you will get a $50 fine. In fact, each of you in the car will get a $50 fine if you are not wearing your mask in the automobile. So what does all this have to do with crime? Well, let's bring it home now. According to the uh, Fox 8i team, who did a little digging, they found out that since March of this year, so what is that, March and April and May and June uh, all completed, so about four months, in about four, the last four months, calls to the 911 center in Cleveland have gone unanswered at an alarming rate. Since March, nearly 13,000 emergency calls to the Cleveland 911 Center did not get answered. Now, let's think about that for a moment. 13,000 emergency calls. 911 is not a place to call to order a pizza. 911 is not the number you call to re- report your neighbor's dog barking and keeping you awake. 911 is for emergencies. When people are being assaulted, people are being raped, people are being robbed, someone is choking, someone has been abducted. These are emergencies. That's what 911 is for. And already with emergency calls, 911 dispatchers are so overwhelmed that 13,000 of them did not get answered in the last four months. Now, thanks to Mayor Frank G. Jackson's order of no mask or uh, the uh, mask requirement in Cleveland. Now the same 911 dispatchers who can't even handle the emergency calls because they come in at such a high volume in the ninth most violent city in America, now 911 dispatchers are going to be expected to take calls from people complaining about other people not wearing their masks. I just want you to let that marinate for a moment, will you please? While dispatchers struggle to take calls and to deal with and to send either fire, police, or ambulance services, emergency medical services to locations of people suffering from real emergencies. Now, somebody who is bleeding out is going to have somebody calling 911 for them, and they're not going to have their call answered because Karen on line four saw somebody without a mask downtown. And this is what Frank Jackson prioritizes. The same buffoon mayor that has cops assigned to the East 93rd Black Lives Matter mural detail rather than out there patrolling and saving actual black lives, the same mayor that diverts police officers from active patrol duty to guarding the paint job down on the street, literally paying them to watch paint dry rather than to go try to save lives, now is going to put more lives in jeopardy by telling dispatchers that they have to answer calls for, from people complaining about masks not being worn on the way to, into a store. I want you to think about that. During a news conference, Fox 8 asked Mayor Frank G. Jackson 
if he sees Cleveland police enforcing this with people calling 911 because they saw people going into a store without masks. Frank G. Jackson's buffoonish answer was, quote, having an extra burden on 911 is something we don't want to do, but it's something we have to do at this time. Are you serious right now? In the city of Cleveland, now I got two different numbers from police sources that I spoke with. 29 people were shot over the 4th of July weekend in one report, 22 in another report. So I don't know which one is exactly right, but I got two different reports either way. I don't care if it's 29 or 22. I don't care if it's 12. It's an extraordinary amount of shootings in one city of 380,000 people. In a weekend in which people are being shot like it's free, with no fear of retribution or arrest whatsoever, Frank Jackson is prioritizing guarding the Black Lives Matter mural and calling people calling 911 to report somebody not wearing their face covering as they walk down the street on Public Square or walked into Tower City, or walked into the key building, wherever it is. Let's occupy the 911 dispatchers who are dealing with shootings and stabbings and rapes. Let's occupy their time. What? Do you need police, ambulance, or fire, however they answer it, police, fire, ambulance? Um, I think I need police, and maybe an ambulance, too. Well, tell us what's the emergency. I just saw somebody walk into uh, a building, and they weren't wearing a mask. And I want them arrested. And you probably should send an ambulance, too, because they're probably just spewing COVID from their mouths as they walk and talk. There's probably going to be people dying here of COVID. We need ambulance and police here right now. What is a 911 dispatcher going to say to idiots who call over mask violations? We're going to take an already depleted Cleveland police force. That has already been defunded before defunding, the police became popular. And not really defunded, because actually the budget calls for a certain number of police officers to be hired each year and for the force to remain at a certain number, and they never meet that because they never replace retiring officers or officers who just quit. They never replace officers because of, uh, of attrition. So already Cleveland is extraordinarily understaffed in police officers, but we're going to send some of them to guard the paint job, and other ones we're going to have on mask detail. Hey, I just saw a man and a woman driving in downtown Cleveland without masks on in their car. That's two. One of them could be giving it to the other. Stop that car! Well, their husband and wife, pretty sure they probably exchanged germs on a fairly regular basis if not through intimacy, just through living in the same house. Doesn't matter. There's two people in a car not wearing a mask. The order is the order. Get SWAT here now! I just saw another one. This guy's speaking and spraying his cooties all over Public Square. I saw him down by the free stamp. Was he doing anything? Was he No, he was by himself reading a book on a bench by the free stand. But you know that those germs are going into the air. 911 now. This is the city you're living in. 
this is the city that we all are living in, in a manner of speaking, in Northeast Ohio. This is what they've prioritized as people are getting shot and killed on a regular basis. This is the leadership of Frank Jackson and the most inept city council maybe in American history. And guess what? Now the county council is about to do the same thing. All right, let me get a timeout. Loomis coming up at 935. Kurt Schlichter at 1035. You, whenever you're ready, 216-901-0945. The Bob France Authority. Being with us on AM fourteen twenty, the answer, Steve Loomis, former Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association president, going to join me at nine thirty five. He's got some thoughts on uh, the violent wa- uh, wave of crime that is uh, going through Cleveland, or rather, the wave of violent crime that is going through Cleveland and so many other American cities. But here, it's worse. It is the numbers are bigger in other places, but we're talking about cities with huge populations compared to Cleveland, which continues uh, to to shrink at around three hundred eighty thousand people. Uh, the numbers are staggering. The number of violent crimes being committed in this city and the police department is already weak uh, because of the numbers that they've been allowed to keep and because of the consent decree as far as how they are allowed to police. And now they want to add mask patrol to their jobs and 911 dispatchers taking calls on people not wearing their masks. This is welcome to the world of surreality. This is this is not reality. This is surreality. Jay is in Illyria on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Jay. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Hey, good morning. Good morning. I listened in its entirety to your first segment this morning and support absolutely everything you said and agree with it. However, and I have two points. This is the first one. Okay. What is it you mean exactly when you reference Kurt Schlichter as being a, quote, unrestrained commentary voice on radio? After listening to you in your first segment today, <laughs> well, I said I did kind of say that I'm a, I'm a pretty good judge of that, considering I'm rather unrestrained myself. Kurt is a little Jeez. different, though. Kurt Kurt is a little different, though, not just on radio, but um, if you follow him on Twitter, uh, Kurt just has zero blanks to give. He doesn't care Absolutely. what anybody thinks. Yeah, he he'll he'll go on Twitter and say things that I would never think of saying, to be honest with you. Because again, you know, he's a self-employed guy. He's an attorney. He's a very highly paid one, and uh, his clients come to him because he gets the job done. They don't care what he says on Twitter. But people who are employed have to restrain themselves a little bit, and so. Well, even though, I, even though I kind of, you know, I'll say what needs to be said from time to time, or as much as I can, uh, Kurt's got some freedom that I don't have. Well, that, that may be so, but it's, I would suggest that it's rather limited at this point, or you have <laughs> narrowed that gap sufficiently. The second point is, I was listening to talk yesterday, and they were talking about defunding the police and the murder rate over the weekend across the country. Yeah. And I thought it's interesting what about this situation? What if you are absolutely for defending the police, and then over the weekend you happen to have a brother or a sister or a mother or a father or an eight-year-old daughter who was shot through gang violence, and you want to call 911, but you support defunding the police? Well, what do you, what do, you do? 
Well, you know, I'll give you an even more egregious example. By the way, the point that you just made is very good. These people who want to defund the police are the first ones to call 911 when something happens to someone they care about, saying, send the police, save me, save my child, save so-and-so, right? So this is, you know, that's one great example. Here's an even more egregious one, though. The same people who are screaming defund the police, which is generally speaking, this is not 100% across the board, but generally it's a liberal talking point and a liberal ideology that says uh, that says defund the police. The police are dangerous. The police with their guns and the police with their this and their that. So they want to they defund the police, thus shrinking the police force. Are the same people applauding Frank Jackson for saying call the police on right. people not wearing right. masks? Right. Think about right, that. Right. I, I, we it's, want it's, less police, it's, it's, but we want enough of them to come here and write we want tickets more for policing. people wearing masks. Exactly. Yeah. It's, Insanity. It's, thank you. That's the good word. Hey, listen, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate you, listening to you every day, and enjoy yeah. the rest of your week. Thank you, and, too, my and friend. And please, do not unrestrain yourself. <laughs> well, I'll do, I'll do my best uh, to do what I can. Thank you, uh, Jay. Uh, Steve Loomis is pretty unrestrained as well. He was unrestrained when he was the CPPA president, uh, and he still is as a Cleveland police detective. And he's got some thoughts to share with us about the violent crime in Cleveland and the insanity of uh, diverting resources for things like guarding a paint job and checking on mask wearers. He'll join us next on AM 1420 The Answer. This is a song you don't get to hear anymore, or at least not associated with the television show that uh, gave it birth. Cops, of course, is now no longer allowed to be on TV. You can't actually show crime fighters, you know, fighting crime. What a terrible message that is to show to the American people. Don't you know that cops are not supposed to be respected? Don't you know that cops are not supposed to be seen as authority figures? No, don't you know that we're, in fact, in Virginia, don't you know? That it's not even a bad deal, a big deal to uh, to punch a police officer, you know. Thanks to the Democrats there that have proposed to reduce the cr- the uh, crime of uh, hit, uh, assaulting a police officer from a felony to a misdemeanor. That's right, from a felony to a misdemeanor. Uh, yeah. Steve Loomis joins us now. He's going to talk about all of that and much, much more. Steve Loomis is the former president, as I mentioned, of the Cleveland Police Patrolman Association, twice served in that capacity. He is a Cleveland police detective, and he is an outspoken supporter of police and law enforcement. Uh, Joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Steve. How are you? Good morning, Bob. How are you? I don't know, Steve, anymore, to be honest with you. I really do not. Um... You know, I'm looking at stuff, and I know you've been talking about this, which is why I asked you to come on. You've been actually posting about it on social media and being outspoken. And some of the some of the statistics that we've seen um, in the city of Cleveland are staggering, especially when you consider our size. Let me throw these numbers out there, and then I'll ask you to expand upon them. In New York City this weekend, uh, a population of about 8.6 million people, they had 41 people shot, 9 killed. In Chicago, 77 were shot, 14 were killed. That's a population of about 2.7 million, I think around the fourth or fifth largest city in America. In Cleveland, um, we had 22 separate shootings. Not sure about the number of victims. I've heard two different numbers. And four killed 
over the 4th of July weekend, we get a population of 380,000. So if you look at that proportionally, you know, to the to the population, we are a more violent city than almost every other city in this country, or at least we have been for this period of time. Um, meantime, Steve, the mayor of the city, which is already operating a police force that has its hands tied by federal consent decrees, which is already weakened by the fact that they don't replace officers, as you have often told me, and the police force, which is budgeted for X, only has Y on the job. Uh, now he's got these cops on mask patrol while people are being shot in our city. Take it from there, Steve. And I don't even know what to say to, to that, Bob. Um, the priorities are just so out of line with the reality that face that law-abiding citizens face in the city every single day. And there's not a neighborhood in the city, east side, west side, south side, where the vast majority of people are great people, law-abiding, appreciate and respect the police being around. In fact, that's one of the biggest complaints that I get when I go to these community meetings: is where are you? You know, they're they're not concerned about how we do business; they're concerned about not seeing us in their neighborhoods. The reason we're not in their neighborhoods is because we're going from run to run to run to run to run. Um, like, like mad people, and dousing small little fires here, there, and everywhere. And we don't have time to commit to getting to know the people in the neighborhood. Which community-based policing is an outstanding way to improve things, and we're just nowhere near it, and we're, we don't have the resources to go there. We don't even have a dare cop. In the schools, not not one bear cop in the unit. Um, it, it is absolutely ridiculous. We're losing our kids at alarming rates. There's no positive interaction between the police department and uh, you know police officers on the street and and the kids. That's that's what we're seeing now is the result of that. 2004, we got rid of community policing units. We got rid of dairy units. We got rid of the cops on the bikes and the cops in the parks and the pools. Jane Campbell thought it was a cool idea to get rid of 400 cops in two years. Um, and, and now, how old, those little kids that were five, six, seven years old that we have a chance to, to, to reach out to and, and have a positive interaction with, we, they didn't get to see the helicopter in the, in the backyard of the school or the, or the police officers working in the school, officer friendlies, right? They didn't get to see any of that. And now those kids are all... Uh, 19, 20, 25, early 20s, and we're paying a price for it. You know? Steve, Steve I, I don't mean to get away from the city of Cleveland, but I just want to follow mm-hmm. up on what you just said. There are some cities that do have DARE officers and that do have these you know, friendly uh, uh, um, uh, relationships between police officers and kids in the schools so that they can indeed understand these are the people who are here to help you. And because of the George Floyd incident and because of Black Lives Matter and because of Antifa and because of everything else, they're literally pulling the DARE officers officers out. It's not a staffing issue in yeah. some cities like Denver, the way it is here. They are pulling the DARE officers out because we don't want children to see police officers in friendly encounters. We don't want pol- uh, children to see police officers as their friends and allies. We only want yeah. their first encounters to be with them when they are being arrested or when they are being questioned. And then, of course, they can advance the uh, the, ant- the adversarial relationship between particularly sure. the minority community and the police. When I was on the Cleveland Police Commission um, that, that was forced upon us with the uh, consent decree, um, we sent out, the CPPA sent out 
a list of things that we thought would help improve relations with the community, which is the goal, right? And one of those things, what that, that actually Mayor Jackson loved the idea. Um, he, I said, put an office in the schools, put an office in the parks and pools, the rec centers, put an office in the library, make it as clean police, right? With the stroke of a pen, the mayor could do that at very low cost. Throw a computer in there, with the stroke of a pen, the chief could say, hey, if you guys are out doing routine paperwork, go to that local school, and while your partner's in doing that accident report, what am I doing? I'm out glad-handing with the kids and, 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 and developing relationships with the teachers and the parents and, and things like that. Um, there was no downside of that. I even told them that we would buy the coffee makers for these offices. And there's no downside to it. Very little cost to the city. And it got poo-pooed away by the activists, by the yeah. activists on that Cleveland Police Commission, by the activists. You know what they said? We don't want to militarize our schools. We don't want to militarize our neighborhoods. I'm like, make up my mind already. You know, right. we need to be out there with these kids. We need to be out there in the neighborhoods. If you put two police cars in every zone in this city on day shift and afternoon shift, you would have community-engaged policing in three months. I promise you, you would have a, a, a fast improvement because those two cars would be able to stay in those zones, get to know the good people, get to know the kids, get to know the bad guys. And be familiar with their zones. That's what it's all about. If but they would be accused. Guys, they would be accused if they're circling their zones all the time of profiling, looking for minorities to arrest. Moreover, yeah, but, looking for minorities to to brutalize. That's what the activists will say. Well, yeah, that's exactly what they'll say. But they're activists. You know, the law-abiding citizens in those neighborhoods, in every single neighborhood in this city, in all these cities, more law-abiding citizens than not. And they're great people, and they love and respect the police department, the job that we do. And we see it day after day after day. That's the only reason that these guys and gals keep getting out of these cars, Bob. Yeah. Steve, I'm going to go back. bail on these folks. No, I know that. And Steve, we're talking to Steve Loomis, former CPPA president. I'm going to go back to this weekend and the violent crimes that are being committed in this city uh, at an okay. extraordinary rate. We are already the ninth most violent city in America, according to the, the you know the statistics. And Steve, this weekend, the uh, I read that the crime scene detectives uh, that are supposed to go out and uh, collect evidence from violent crime scenes like shootings, they were so overwhelmed over the weekend, they couldn't respond to hardly any of the 22 separate shootings and the 22 or 25 or 27 or 29 or whatever it is number of shooting victims. Um, is that is that true? That's what I read. Yeah, that's absolutely true. They prioritize that they only have one or two cars working at any given uh, hour of the night, one or two cars. And then you have, all of a sudden, you have three different homicides. Homicide takes the, the largest priority. You, they go there and they process those teams, which is not something easy to do. It takes time to be able to do that. Usually there's a search warrant associated with it and everything else. In the meantime, those two cars are tied up on those homicides. Nobody's going and taking fingerprints, looking for DNA, picking up shell casings, taking pictures of these other shooting scenes. And you might as well forget if the car gets broken into or your garage gets kicked in, you know, nobody's coming for, for those types of situations. And that is, to me, is appalling. 
because but this is what they asked for, right, Steve? This is what cities and people who are screaming to defund police are asking for: fewer cops who can't come and process crime scenes and cannot respond, as you say, to break-ins, to burglaries, uh, to uh, uh, to uh, property damage, etc. They they say they don't want cops around, and they're getting a taste of what it's like, right? Yeah. Oh, it's just the property crime. We'll tell that to the little the, the little old guy that. You know, World War II veteran, just the other day, World War II veteran, just a property crime, he ended up getting killed over in South Hills neighborhood. Um, it, there's no such thing as nonviolent property crimes. It's all violent. You're kicking a garage door in, people are on a fixed income. Why in God's name would you have to buy a new lawnmower every year because some crackhead is kicking your door in, stealing your lawnmower, and the police aren't even coming out to take a fingerprint. Or a photo, or at least try. And, and, and what is and what does that mean? The 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 practical um, result of that is is the people who did all of these shootings will go free. They will never be arrested yeah. because you don't have anybody there actually securing the crime scene. And as you say, picking up shell casings, taking pictures, sure. uh, fingerprints, et cetera, et cetera. All of those things well, that are done that are done DNA. All of those things that are done to solve a, a, a violent crime, particularly a shooting, are not being done, so these shooters go free. And two things yeah. are a result of that. Number one, well, those shooters, hold on, what those shooters, um, are free to go shoot other people because they're not going to be arrested. And number two, people who haven't become shooters yet are going to be emboldened because they know the cops aren't coming to the scenes. We can, we, we can pretty much get away with anything we want to because the cops can't do squat. Yeah. Well, the, the cops come to the scene. The, 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 the guys that collect the evidence weren't yeah, able to. Yeah, well, that's what I mean, right. The, the ones who are going to try to catch them won't be there. And, and eventually a detective, you know, a, a detective uh, or two from the districts is going to get out there and, and do their thing, look for video and, and look for witnesses. But it's always a great thing to have that cooperating evidence, to have that DNA if there's blood somewhere that's not the victims, to have those shell cases in your hand. It's always a great thing to have that. Those guys are there for a reason, and they solve so many crimes when when they have the people to go out there and process these things correctly. Um, right now, we don't, and we saw that uh, huge this weekend um, Steve. With, with the 22 shootings. Steve, last thing, I'm just going to ask you big picture now about policing in yes, America. Sir. Um Black Lives Matter has become a force, and I mean an absolute political force, not just an activism force, but a political force. If police mm-hmm. try to crack down on, on protesters who are committing violent acts, including rioting and including assaulting and including vandalizing, uh, they are going to be in trouble. Um, if mayors try to break up, like, for example, in Atlanta, they have been occupying that Wendy's where Rayshard Brooks shot a deadly weapon in the form of a taser at an officer and had returned fire <laughs> kill him uh, uh the mayor down there mayor bottoms uh, uh allowed them to run r- rampant until an eight-year-old child got shot uh there mm-hmm. now suddenly we're going to break this up my my point here bigger picture is how does policing look in this country a year from now how does policing look in this country five years from now if activist groups like black lives matter which has nothing to do with saving black people by the way um if activist groups like this continue to call the shots and elected officials continue to do their bidding what does law and order look like in this country a year from now or five years from now well hopefully and i'm an optimist on this bob i know for a fact that there are way more people that 
that appreciate law and order and appreciate the job that men and women in law enforcement do, then don't. The people that don't, that want to defund police departments, don't want the cops around. Why is that? I mean, just think logically for a second about that. Why in God's name do they not want the cops around? Because we're shooting unarmed black guys. Is it working for them? There's no, the, the statistics are not there for that. They have agendas. The only way that Black Lives Matter hierarchy can put bread on their table is to try to justify their existence, and they do that through false narratives and all this nonsense that's going on out there. I believe that the, the pendulum is going to swing back the other way. Uh, we're seeing more and more of that. Even now, as we speak, we're seeing more and more of that. These, these mayors are looking at things going, hey, well, hang on a minute. This late foot. You know, well, it's Trump's fault. Everything's Trump's fault. No, it's not Trump's fault. Democrats have been in control of these major cities for decades. They're the ones that are in control of the police departments. It's not the chiefs. Including this one. Including, including this city. Including this city. It's the politicians. It's the, it's the overpaid, underachieving city council in this, in this city that, that budgets for smaller police departments and, and gives the chief less to work with. Our chief does a great job with the resources that he's given by the politicians and the policies that he's given by the politicians. Um, but at the end of the day, the buck stops with them, and they're starting to feel it. And we got to get out there and use our voting power to make sure that this doesn't ever happen again because the only people that want this type of uh, uh, anarchy in these cities are criminals or socialists. They're not law-abiding, no. God-fearing no, citizens. They're not. No. They don't respect law and order. They, and, and I could go back through the, the litany of this, these things again. If you don't have a father in the home, there's no authority figure to learn to respect. Then you don't respect your teachers. Then you don't respect your coaches. Then you don't respect, yes, police officers. Authority figures are a thing of, of uh, you know, they're, 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 they're non-existent in the lives of many people in these communities. Uh, Steve Loomis, uh, former president of the CPPA, now just concerned Cleveland police detective about what's going on. Thank you for speaking citizen, out. Thank you for sharing I information. I live in Cleveland. I know you do. I know you do. And a uh, citizen as well. Steve Loomis, thank you, my friend. Appreciate it. That's Steve Loomis, uh, president, former president of the CPPA. And as you heard, Cleveland cop and Cleveland citizen worried about our community. We'll be right back. likes to scream that America is suffering from systemic racism. They're partially right. The left, or excuse me, America is suffering from a systemic ism. But it's not racism. We are suffering from systemic liberalism. It is what is keeping people from getting the safety and the protection they deserve from our police departments. It is is what is stopping law and order from being... Uh, from being uh, enacted. It is what is stopping our culture from being respected. It is what is stopping, uh, or excuse me, it is what is causing our cult, our culture to be eliminated and, and wiped out. My point is that those that would protect our culture, those that would protect the rule of law and order, etc., are being stymied by systemic liberalism. Uh, Jeff Mordock of the Washington Times wrote extensively about this yesterday. 
Gunfire and carnage are sweeping across America's streets. At least six children ages 6 to 14 died in separate shootings over the last five days as the level of gun violence and murder surpassed the deadly toll at the same time last went through these numbers before. Law enforcement professionals say the eruption of violence is a perfect storm of animosity toward police and liberal criminal justice reform policies that have put violent offenders back on the streets and hamstrung police departments. The police departments insist they have not ordered officers to stand down in the face of racial justice protests. I'll stop there and say baloney. They have. Absolutely, they have, usually by the mayors, ordered by the mayors, like the weak, pathetic mayor in Columbus, Ohio. But I digress, continuing. But police, whether by order or just fear of prosecution for use of force, appeared to take a hands-off approach amid the growing violence. In Baltimore, police did not intervene when a mob on Saturday toppled a prominent statue of Christopher Columbus and tossed it into the Inner Harbor. Baltimore Police Commissioner Michael Harrison said officers held back because it was, quote, tactically unsafe. As the Baltimore Police Department was responding to several life-and-death incidents across the city, a small number of officers were assigned to assist with peaceful protests, they call them, taking place in the downtown area. As the number of protesters grew, it was tactically unsafe for those officers to position themselves between the protesters and the Christopher Columbus statue. Dean Esserman, senior counsel for the National Police Foundation, said police are not engaging lawbreakers because of confusion about their role amid calls to overhaul policing. I don't hear that police are standing down, but they are not getting orders or hesitant or are hesitant to act on their own, which is a natural reaction to what is going on these days. Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry blames the unchecked violence on systemic liberalism. Democrat leaders who dominate nearly every large city in the U.S., which are ground zero for the onslaught of killings. Not all of America is dangerous right now. If you go out and look at the smaller cities where there is a rule of law and people hold held accountable, they are safe, Landry said. But big cities with large populations are dangerous right now because of systemic liberalism. New bail policies implemented in Atlanta, New York, Philadelphia have resulted in hundreds of individuals arrested on low-level crimes almost immediately returned to the streets. Once free, they have become more brazen, experts say. Houston Police Chief Art Acevedo, who is a complete and utter Acevedo, said there are some in this country who believe no one should be held behind bars absent a trial or an actual conviction because of the presumption of innocence. And that mindset is starting to permeate a lot of jurisdictions where people who have a history of being violent and dangerous are being arrested again on murder or attempted murder charges. Yeah, why don't you follow your own words there, Art? He's one of the worst big city uh, police chiefs in America. New York state lawmakers last year reduced the number of crimes for which offenders could be held on bail and eliminated bail for 90% of the state's arrests. Philadelphia, they announced last year they will no longer seek bail for offenses that account for 61% of all of their criminal justice system. And, of course, Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, we've talked about, signed an ordinance that limited bail altogether for lower-level offenders. The bottom line is, and we've got to get to our news here, systemic liberalism which refuses to hold people accountable for their actions, in large part because of their race, and in large part because of perceived oppression of that race, is leading to an uptick in violence, not an uptick, a massive wave of increased violence that is actually victimizing people of the same race. News time now. Back after. 